Thanks for listening to The Gist. If you want to check out an ad-free version and bonus content, go to subscribe.mikepesca.com. It is the best way to directly support our endeavors. Hello, it's Mike. I shouldn't have to tell you this, but it's Saturday. You know it's a show. That means it's the Saturday show where we bring you one from the past and one from the week. I'm going to do something that I usually don't do, comment on my one from the week and maybe uh, give myself a self-critique, see if you agree. But first, the one from the past, based on the premise that what this Republican primary needs is more candidates from Florida, Miami Mayor Frances Suarez has entered the race. Guess what? I interviewed that guy on April 3rd, 2020. It was early days of the pandemic. He, I knew he was a Republican. You know, no one was hiding that. It was pretty, I'd say, pretty to very critical of the Trump administration, though you could tell he was trying to toe the line a little bit. But he talked about what he was doing or what Miami was doing to try to address the concerns, the uh, exigencies of the COVID pandemic. We talk a little bit about plasma treatments at the end, which actually wound up not being that huge a thing, but credit to him for being an early adapter and someone with uh, his uh, mind and eyes open to new technology. So we'll play that interview from a few years ago. And then the one from the week will be when I talked about the, it was a letter, it was a letter of, when I talked about the letter of warning from the Office of the Special Counsel over a violation of the Hatch Act. The Hatch Act bars a federal employee from using their official position to campaign. And Corinne Jean-Pierre, who is the White House spokesperson, was issued this warning because the complaint was that she said, mega maga. I wrote a poem about it. I have to say, the poem maybe wasn't as successful as it could have been. So after that segment, I'll join you and we'll talk about, or I will talk about, you can tell me if you agree, what went wrong. Francis Suarez is the mayor of Miami. He was also among the first public officials in the United States to test positive for COVID-19. He is now out of quarantine. He's been given the all clear after two negative tests. In fact, the mayor will become the first convalescent plasma donor from the state of Florida, one of the first in the nation. That's when you give your plasma. Scientists say this really can help provide antibodies against the virus. Mr. Mayor, welcome to The Gist. Thanks so much. It's an honor to be here with you. I want to conduct this interview on two tracks, essentially. One is uh, your official capacity, but the other is just as someone who has gotten and dealt with the virus. Now, from what I read, it was your interaction with the Brazilian delegation when they came to the U.S., Bolsonaro and a top aide, and you said to yourself, I was in close contact with them. We, We know they're positive. I should get a test. That's how you decided to get it. It wasn't any symptoms. That's essentially what happened. I mean, what was interesting was I was in a council meeting and I was about to declare a state of emergency that day. And it, uh, someone sent me a picture where this person who had tested positive and I were in the same picture. And I vaguely recognized him, probably shook his hand a couple of times on Monday and Tuesday of that week, must have had a couple of conversations with the gentleman. And, uh, and when I disclosed this and discussed this with, uh, with the medical staff of the city, they they advised me that I had to go immediately into quarantine. Once that all became public and I had to shoot my um, emergency message uh, remotely um, and the press uh, reported it, I got a call from the health department. And they asked me to get tested. And 
let me tell you that that was God sent because had that not happened that way, uh, for sure my family would have been infected, uh, most likely because I hug my kids every day. I give my kids kisses, my wife. They all would have gotten it. Um, we tested over 40 members of my administration. None of them got uh, COVID-19. So if it wasn't for the proactive uh, uh, advice that I got from our medical staff, this could have been something that could have crippled our government. So Miami was one of the first to uh, give a shelter in place order. What went into your decisions? You canceled, uh, the city canceled some major festivals and they were a little bit criticized for it actually of jumping the gun. But tell me about why the city took it so seriously when other municipalities weren't. You know, we saw this threat early on. Our fire chief uh, identified it when it was in Wuhan, started ordering personal protective equipment supplies in February. Um, we were following the CDC guidelines, which said that there shouldn't be any mass congregations at that time, 25,000 or more. We had two major events, Calle Ocho, which was 250,000 people, and Ultra, which would have been 150,000 people from 105 different countries. And we felt that the responsible and right thing to do was to cancel it. As you said, uh, other elected officials uh, criticized us. Uh, the county mayor said that we acted prematurely and we're sending the wrong message that we should be open for business. And unfortunately, spring breakers heard him. Uh, he didn't close the beaches and they flocked to our beaches, uh, which made us a national embarrassment. So uh, it was very unfortunate. Uh, and, and, then, and then he later had to close uh, the Miami Open. He later had to cancel the youth fair. So what I've learned in this process is that there is no proactive step that I've taken that I've regretted. And everyone who's criticized me has later had to follow me. Um, and, and, you know, recently, you know, like you said, we enacted a stay at home order. We enacted a, a curfew. We're the first city to enact a curfew. I think the second city in Dade County to do a stay at home order. The county had to follow us on the stay at home order. The governor followed us on the stay at home order. And then uh, on the curfew, the county has yet to follow us. And I just recently wrote a letter to the president asking the president to discontinue flights from COVID hotspots internationally and domestically to the city of Miami. So I will now paint a little bit of the political picture so my listeners understand. Uh, the mayor of Miami job is nonpartisan. You are a registered Republican, though you had disclosed that you didn't vote for uh, now Governor DeSantis. So not that kind of Republican, let's say. Now, he has been reluctant to issue statewide orders. He did it um, a couple days ago. Do you think the lack of a statewide measure, even though you can make the rules for the city of Miami, did not having a statewide rule have any effect, any negative effect on the city's ability to fight the virus? Look, I, I, I said uh, in multiple interviews that had I been the governor, I would have uh, issued a stay-at-home order, but but I will uh, commend the governor because he supported our efforts when we uh, didn't preempt us from doing it ourselves. Uh, I can tell you the biggest threat uh, right now to the city of Miami is Miami International Airport. We've got 50 million passengers that flow through there a year, 50 million. That's double, that's more than 2.5 times the population of the state of Florida flow through that airport. So right now, um, what concerns me is hotspots domestically and internationally, which is, by the way, how I got the infection, right, from someone who came internationally with the disease to Miami, flaring us up when we're implementing all these strict measures to keep people at home and keep people, uh, you know, at home after curfew. And we're doing all these things. And then somebody could come in from outside fleeing a hotspot and, and, and flare the disease up, the virus up in our community. Well, that's my biggest concern. That's why I wrote the president a letter asking him to 
you know, to discontinue flights. Unfortunately, our county mayor says he called the White House to tell him to disregard the letter, uh, which was kind of hard to believe. But, uh, you know, I think for me, uh, I'm going to always do uh, what I think is right. And, and, and again, one of the lessons that I've learned is the more proactive I've been, the more uh, rewarded in the sense I've been with people's confidence and, 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 and with other people having to who criticize me at a time, having to follow me later. Is, is the airport within your jurisdiction? I don't run the airport. Uh, the city does not run the airport, but we're the largest city. We're adjacent to the airport. When those passengers leave, they come into the city of Miami. They were, you know, the tourist destination. And so, you know, and, and the fact of the matter is that the airport, even though it's run by the county, they don't have the authority either to stop flights from coming in. There's only one person that has that authority, and that's the president because he runs the FAA. And the FAA is the only uh, agency that can actually ground flights. So that's why the letter had to go to the president. How many tests does the city have access to every day? We are doing right now, we are doing about 500 a day. We have the capacity probably to go up to, um, depending on supplies, we could probably go up to 1,000. Um, but right now, we're not turning anybody away. We've, ex- we've actually in- expanded the age groups that we're testing in the doubt to all age groups. And that's getting us close to what, what our daily capacity is. So we, we feel good about where we're at. So though to do contract contact tracing and other measures, you would need a lot more testing. What's the, given how unideal these times are, what's the ideal number of tests you would need to uh, really put testing into full effect? So you don't have to say, for instance, only if you have symptoms. Right. So right now I was going to say we're doing symptomatic testing, right? So everybody who has symptoms is getting tested regardless of age. That's happening. The question is, you know, can we do like a, almost like a one quick, uh, you know, sort of a map, if you will, right? By, by getting a ubiquitous testing system in place where we could test hundreds of thousands of people. And, and, and that's something we're exploring. That would probably be not be nasal, you know, a nasal test, like the, like the symptomatic test that will probably be a blood test. And those are a lot faster. We're just trying to find a company that we can, that we feel reliable. I was sort of the guinea pig. I took two of those tests. And the doctors didn't feel comfortable with the results because they should have been positive um, when I was testing uh, positive still with the, the nasal uh, tests, which is a, an, an antigen test. And those are antibody tests. Uh, the antigen test tests the uh, viral load in the cell. The antibody test obviously tests your body's reaction to the virus, right? So it's just a different kind of test. Um, they're not as accurate. And so that's part of the problem. The second part of the problem is it's good for mapping. Like to get a sense, like you're saying, for contact tracing and for getting a sense for how prevalent the virus is in your community. But, but testing without symptoms, it can also be problematic if it's not properly explained. Because what will happen is people will come in, they'll test negative, and they'll think, oh, I'm negative. That means like, I, don't, I can't get it. And that's, just, that's not what it means. All that means is you're negative at that moment. Right. Yeah. So, or or with yeah. these with these heightened uh, false negative rates that you refer to, maybe doesn't even mean that. Yeah, and maybe doesn't even mean that. So so that's why to me I worry sometimes uh, when non symptomatic people want to test, uh, even though I was non symptomatic, and I can tell you that obviously saved a ton of people. So so it's 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 a struggle. Um, it's a struggle. But we're 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 we are heading in the direction of non symptomatic testing and ubiquitous testing, uh, depending on us being able to identify something that can do it accurately. How bad did your symptoms ever get? They never got uh, too bad. I never got fever. I never got a sore throat. 
Uh, all I got was a stuffy nose and I had some body paintings at the beginning, which I took Tylenol for and, and that was about it. So if there wasn't this corona reality, I was going to say scare, but if coronavirus weren't going around and you were just thinking about things in terms of the normal viruses, the normal flu viruses, would this have been the thing that would have even made you take a day off of work? No. No. I wouldn't have taken a day off of work. I wouldn't have gotten tested. I wouldn't have changed really any of my habits until they became sort of public uh, requirements, right? So Right, and, and, and you could have still been a spreader, though, is the point. A hundred percent. And by the way, the other thing I would say is, and I've, and I've now, obviously, because I've been so involved in this issue, spoken to so many people about this, I can tell you that right now, I, I'm the first person in Florida, one of the first in the country to give a transfusion of blood for mm-hmm. plasma, like you were saying. And the family, that family, four of the people in that family are positive. Right, two of them are asymptomatic. One of them is in critical condition, which is the one that we're using the, the transfusion for, and the other one is 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 having like a flu-like event. So you can, you know, you can have COVID nineteen, and it has such a uh, variability in terms of the impact it has on you, depending on a variety of factors: your age, your health, uh, just you know, who knows what else. So they, they literally match you up with a donee. It's not just that they bank your plasma. They have someone that this is intended to go with. Well, in, in my particular case, that's the way it happened. I, I, I don't know how it will happen going forward because what happened literally in mine, which is, this is an interesting story. What happened with me was the minute I had my second negative test, it's obviously news, right? So, so, so on the one side, the one blood reaches out to me, which is you know a major multi-hundred million dollar company that... Uh, is you know a blood uh, and plasma collection company, and at, but on the other hand, I get reached out to on Instagram by a family of a particular person that is that is in need of, of the plasma. So this all happens at the same time, and so I and ironically the the hospital that they that they use also uses one blood. So it all kind of came together. I had the right blood type. I mean, it all sort of came together so that I was able to yesterday donate the plasma and today, actually right now. It's being transfused into the patient. Is this how far from theory to proven treatment is this? I'll let you know in about 48 hours. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. Do you think that having the virus and being quarantined and having to communicate from inside your house, did it get in the way of your job or did it in some ways help amplify the message and the severity of what you were trying to communicate? It completely and unequivocally helped amplify the message. Uh, you know, the minute I was told that I was positive, immediately I knew everything was going to change. I knew that, first of all, I had to go public. I knew that it was going to impact how I did my job. It was going to impact how people saw me afterwards. It was going to impact how my government functioned, that we had to take steps to, to reassure people that had come into contact with me. Um, and then I started this video blog which was risky, by the way, you know, uh, actually chronicling every single day uh, that I was on, you know, every single day post, post-testing positive. And, you know, I didn't know how it was going to go. Um, obviously, it could have gone downhill and it would have gone from something positive to something negative. Uh, but thankfully, that's not what happened. How, how angered, how distraught should regular citizens be at what they perceive and what could be the reality of 
the government at different levels not doing all it can. And I ask that because you are someone who can get frustrated, but also you're literally dealing with government officials who are in different offices than you, and you have to try to maintain your cool, and you probably also can see how hard they have it. So what is the role of anger, righteous anger, frustration that a lot of us are feeling in this moment? I think it's the appropriate uh, response. I think what I what I keep telling those who disagree with me in terms of my aggressive posture on this is I've got, I have two kids and I'm married. I have to be able to look at myself in the mirror every day and be convinced that I am doing everything that I can to protect not only my loved ones, but my community. I can't look back later and say, well, you know, I, I didn't want to implement a curfew because, you know, it was too expensive or, you know, I don't want to stop it flights from uh, MIA because, you know, it's not really this guy's jurisdiction. He shouldn't be asking for it. I should be the one asking, oh, why didn't you ask for it? Go for it. Ask for it. You know, I, I think it, this is a perfect moment for people to put pressure on their elected officials. Their lives are at stake. You know, and, and, and I can tell you that I personally do seek guidance that I can tell is genuine guidance that's people, you know, texting me and messaging me in good faith. It's very helpful for me. Francis Suarez is the mayor of Miami, Florida, and he is the first convalescent plasma donors in that state and one of the first convalescent plasma donors in the country. We'll see how that treatment goes. Thank you very much, Mayor Suarez. Thank you so much. And now the spiel. I think I have found the most toothless bureaucrat in Washington. Not her fault, but she is Park Ranger Smith trying to tamp down the picnic thieving antics of Yogi Bear. She is King Canute trying to stop the tides. She is Kevin Bacon's Chip Diller in Animal House trying to stop a wave of humanity from flattening him to no avail. Anna Galindo Marone, no doubt a hardworking civil servant is her name. She is an official who takes her job seriously. She is a part of the Office of Special Counsel, and she has been, since 2000, the chief of the Hatch Act unit. The Hatch Act is the regulation barring government employees from engaging in political activity, which seems like a good rule to have on the books. But it turns out that rules with no enforcement mechanism rarely get followed. Anna Galindo Marone does, however, investigate each allegation, and she then issues a ruling. During the Trump administration, she ruled that 13 different White House employees violated the Hatch Act during the 2020 election. She ruled that several more violated the Hatch Act along the way. Kellyanne Conway was so frequently cited for Hatch Act violations, she got pretty brazen, quote, let me know when the jail sentence starts. And she's right. There's no enforcement mechanism for Hatch Act violations. Every big report, often described as scathing, has reams of obligatory paragraphs detailing what can be done to make these violations that we've investigated and confirmed to make any of that matter. Here's one simple one that they actually got to. Fill the Merit Systems Protection Board with all three members, not the zero members or one member that it had for all four years of the Trump administration and a year of the Biden administration, thus denying a quorum. The Merit System Protection Board, therefore, couldn't do anything or make any real rulings. I'd say that's a good idea. I'm glad we have a Merit Systems Protection Board with, 
Well, it doesn't have all three members, but it has two members. And now the Biden administration finds itself in the crosshairs, the weak, barely discernible crosshairs. Karine Jean-Pierre, White House spokesperson in 2022, said this. Unfortunately, we have seen mega, MAGA Republican officials who don't believe in the rule of law. They refuse to accept the results of free and fair elections. And that was it. She called them mega, MAGA Republicans. Interestingly, during the Trump administration, the OSC, Office of Special Counsel, ruled that Trump officials bringing Make America Great Again hats to work would be a violation of the Hatch Act, not the Hat Act, the Hatch Act. And when that actually happened with a HUD official, she got dinged for a Hatch Act violation. And to reiterate something I've said over and over again, no one cared. It didn't matter. But it's kind of interesting. The presence of a slogan as an endorsement of making America great again, Hatch Act violation. The reference to the acronym as a critique of that slogan, Hatch Act violation, would be something to ponder if it mattered any bit. To their credit, the Biden officials dinged for Hatch Act violations, did not brush it away with the critique, oh, who cares? But Jean-Pierre did say the White House counsel may challenge the Hatch Act violation. It was actually technically a warning she got, but she said, we're looking into that. We're hoping to appeal this ruling, perhaps, which you might think might miff on a Galindo Marone. But if I were her, I'd take it as a big compliment. They care enough to do something other than laugh it off. That is progress, like Yogi actually trying to maneuver behind the scenes to get Ranger Smith fired. Another interesting, okay, maybe interesting to Anna Galindo Marone and other hatchheads, another interesting thing is that the original complaint wasn't just about MAGA Republicans. That was the violation, just saying MAGA. It was literally about using the phrase mega MAGA violations, but the office dinged the MAGA part alone. Apparently, you can't say mega MAGA or even MAGA, but certainly not mega MAGA from the White House podium. Which brings me, once again, I'm in fine verse form. It brings me to a poem. Corinne Jean-Pierre, as if on a dare, uttered the phrase mega MAGA. To all but a few whose priorities are askew, it barely registered as chitter-chatter. She attempted to pivot to something new, but even that was objected to. Now we must suffer some Segway saga. I dove deep into the text, but never cried from my breast. I believe I've just read errata. Can we move on as a nation to Facebook regulation? Please don't ignore the metamata. I've scoured the ruling. The text left me flummoxed and drooling. So I exit as if chased by a bear to wit. Waka waka. Hi, it's Mike again. This is like the commentary track, but in this one, I don't explain my brilliance or how the studio got in the way of executing my vision. I will cop to the fact that that wasn't my best poem. And if I had to say why, it's that there were some phrases, I I enjoy the phrase mega mega and chewing that around in my head or mind. And there were a couple of phrases in the poem that really worked. I guess metamata did. Metamata, mega, mega. That's really good. But then I get to where I say it suffered some segue saga. Really should be a saga, right? But saga doesn't rhyme with maga. And if, if it went by so quick and you were saying, wait, what do you mean some segue saga? It was related to the establishing line in the couplet. She attempts to pivot to something new. So you're supposed to hold that 
in your head that you tried to talk about something different. But even that's objected to. And then maybe I relied on you to paint this picture of, oh, so the fact that she's trying to change the subject, that becomes a point of contention. And then I say, now we must suffer from some segue saga. Should have been segue saga. What can you do? Less than perfect, but not even as bad as the next line. I dove deep in the text, but never cried from my breast. I believe I've just read errata. What the? It just, it looks good on the page to the ear. I now realize that is terribly confusing. I've just read, I've consumed with my eyes, errata, which sounds like erotica, so it gets you out of the mindset, but you know, Errors, uh, the Latin plural for errors in writing. At the end of many texts, there will be a list of errata. So I am saying, you know, I read this, but I, I never said to myself, wait, I think I read a misprint or something wrong. So there you go. It's sometimes in radio slash podcasting, there are good words on the page that you have a lot of hope for, but you know, when they meet the ear, they're less than perfect. That's self-critique. And the last thing is, I love playing Fozzie, but Wacka Wacka doesn't really rhyme with Mega Maga, right? It's a stretch on both counts. I leave you with that. I just want you to know I acknowledge my imperfections, and I'm sorry if I took up too much time with this blither blather. Just is produced by Corey Wara and the senior producers, Joel Patterson. I'll talk to you Monday, Juneteenth.